This is Archbishop Blaise Supich, Archbishop of Chicago. Today, I invite you to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a non-for-profit apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization that utilizes media, both old and new, to share the faith on every continent and facilitate an encounter with Christ in His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire Catholic Ministries engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. This is an invitation to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. When our hearts are open, the Lord changes and transforms us so that we in turn begin to share the warmth and light of Jesus Christ, who is the Word on Fire. The global benefactors of Word on Fire Catholic Ministries, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you, and a happy, blessed Easter to everybody. Friends, you know, it's a weird thing in my own life, but I've always liked to visit the graves of famous people. I don't know why precisely. Maybe it's a sense of history, a sense of connection across the ages. Maybe it's a form of paying tribute, honoring their memory. Whatever it is, something has always drawn me to these places, to the, the graves and tombs of famous people. I've done a lot of traveling around the world in my life, and whenever I come into a new place or new city, my first question is usually, well, who's buried here? Whose grave can I visit? And then I, I make a beeline to those places. When I was a student in Washington, D.C. many years ago, I used to love to visit that little ridge just below the Custis Lee Mansion where the Kennedy brothers are buried. So, of course, the whole Arlington Cemetery stretches out below you, but that little ridge just below the home from which Robert E. Lee left to, uh, to fight the Civil War, a home that was connected to, the, to George Washington's family, Right below that house is that little area where the Kennedy brothers are. And I used to go and visit their graves, and I would sit for a long time and look kind of wistfully out at the city. I love that site. When I was a student some years later in Paris, I loved to go to the Montparnasse Cemetery, right behind where I lived. It's just a, maybe a five-minute walk from where I lived. There, Samuel Beckett, the great Irish playwright, was buried as was Jean-Paul Sartre, you know, the existentialist philosopher. Not a man I agree with very much, but, you know, a great uh, philosophical figure. But the treasure trove of Parisian burial grounds is the Père Lachaise Cemetery. That's a place I visited frequently as well. There you find, it's like a city, it's a city of the dead, this massive cemetery. You find the graves of Abelard and Eloise, you know, the famous uh, kind of star-crossed couple from the Middle Ages. Abelard really is the reason Paris became a great city. You find the grave of Jim Morrison there, if you like rock and roll, right? the lead singer for The Doors, who died in Paris and is buried there. The grave of Chopin, the great uh, pianist. Oscar Wilde is buried there. I spent hours at Père Lachaise, just kind of wandering around and 
it'd be a lot of people that you wouldn't recognize, but then almost every row, there'd be someone of, um, you know, kind of world historical importance. Just recently, I was in Rome. I said mass with a friend of mine down in the crypt of St. Peter's, not far from the tomb of Pope Paul VI. We prayed at the graves of Pius XII, went upstairs, prayed at the grave of John Twenty-Third. And, of course, my great hero, John Paul II. Spent a long time, I remember, in front of the grave of John Paul II, just musing on what he meant uh, to the whole church, what he's meant to me. And think about this. Whenever you go to St. Peter's, what you're visiting, basically, is a giant grave monument. It's the most famous grave monument in the world. So St. Peter is buried there on that side of the Vatican Hill, and eventually... um, a huge basilica under Constantine was built there. That was torn down, and the one we have now was built in the 16th century. So you're visiting basically a grave. I remember when I was uh, in Washington many, many years ago, I used to visit the tomb of George Washington out at Mount Vernon. Then if you press inland a little bit, you can visit the little grave where Thomas Jefferson lies, this hugely important figure, but lies in a pretty modest grave. If you wander a bit further in Virginia, you'll come to the Washington Lee University, where the tomb of Robert E. Lee can be found. I remember I was on retreat one time years ago in southern Indiana, St. Meinrad. And not far from there is the Lincoln Boyhood uh, Memorial, because the Lincoln family lived there when, when Abraham Lincoln was a teenager. The most moving part of it, there's a, there's a beautiful little cemetery at the heart of which is the tomb of Nancy Hanks, Abraham Lincoln's mother. There is a very beautiful, very simple tomb, and it's, it's covered in Lincoln pennies. People have thrown uh, Lincoln pennies on top of it. And I've always found it very peaceful, very moving. Another one not too far from there is the grave of Thomas Merton, one of my spiritual heroes. Remember, I was down at Gethsemane Abbey where he lived, and um, I was giving talks to the monks, and I was in a guest room, you know, in the, in the guest wing. And I opened the window to the room, and it, and it overlooked, directly overlooked the cemetery, and I could see Merton's grave from my room. It just spent long periods of time gazing out at his grave and the other ones. Now, you're wondering, why is this man leading me on this sort of macabre meditation on graves on Easter Sunday? Well, there's a reason we're drawn to them. You know, and I've mentioned some above. But also, you know, there's a sense of of peace, of fulfillment, of something ended. That's why we love to meditate and muse and sort of ponder at graves. Peaceful, serene, complete. The one thing you would never expect in a cemetery or a grave is action or novelty. See, and that's why the grave at the center of our gospel today, at the center of Christianity, is so weird and powerful. We hear that three women come to the tomb of Jesus. As we'd expect any visitor to any grave to come, 
they have their oils with them. They intend to honor, anoint the body of Jesus. They're anticipating, perhaps weeping at the grave, perhaps sitting in reverential silence, perhaps quietly musing on the life and words of their friend, maybe through their tears expressing their admiration for him, the tragedy of his death. I mean, that's how they're going to the tomb, right? How we would go to the tomb of someone that we deeply admired. How we might even today go to the tomb of a famous person. Let's sit around quietly and muse on what his life has meant. But this is no ordinary grave. And everything, friends, is going to hinge upon this. The first thing they notice is that the stone has been rolled away. Now, this could have been the result of grave robbers, of somebody trying to break in and desecrate the tomb, and and they consider that possibility. But what's beginning to dawn on them is that this rolling away is not the result of somebody breaking in, but of somebody breaking out. They look in and they see a young man. And they're frightened out of their wits. See, again, we've heard this story a million times, but, but get back now to the moment and hear these words as though for the first time. They're frightened. Well, of course they are. Can you imagine you come to a grave, to a cemetery, and you walk into a tomb like a mausoleum, and you're fully expecting to see a, a dead body, a coffin or something, and what do you see? Someone standing there, alive and well. But that's not the end of their surprise. For this strange person announces that the Jesus whom they seek is not there. That he's been raised up and will go ahead of them into Galilee. Imagine that's what you see and you hear as you come to the grave in this wistful, mournful, elegiac spirit. This is what happens. So then it says, understandably enough, listen, they made their way out and fled from the tomb, bewildered and trembling. And because of their great fear, they said nothing to anyone. You know, that that rings so true, doesn't it? This is not some literary invention. That rings very true to me of what it must have been like to come in one attitude to that tomb and then to see what they saw. My point is, this grave is not the source of peace and rest and calm, thoughtful meditation. That's what I love to do at graves, what a lot of us like to do. This grave, though, is a source of terror and upheaval. Ordinary graves, as I said, are places of finality and inevitability. This grave is a place of novelty so shocking that it frightens people out of their wits. See, to get that is to get Christianity. From this grave of Jesus, we learn to our shock that everything we took to be the case about life, about the world, is in fact not the case. That the supposed laws of nature aren't really laws after all. 
that what's always moved this way now moves that way. See why they're afraid, why they run from this place. What have they begun to sense? That God is the enemy of death. And that he's shown us his power over death in the most unambiguous way. That our lives oughtn't to be dominated by the fear of death. And we see the proof of this in the most vivid way imaginable. You know, I've said this before, I know, to you, but I'll say it again on this Easter Sunday. Some people think they'll make the resurrection more intelligible, more acceptable to modern people if they allegorize it away, turning it into a vague symbol of the perdurance of Jesus' cause. See, friends, if that were true, his grave wouldn't be frightening. It would be like the grave of any ordinary hero. Sad, wistful, reassuring. Notice, please, and this is really interesting, just from an historical standpoint, no cult of Jesus' tomb ever developed in Christianity. People don't go to the tomb of Jesus. They did in the early days just to sit and muse on what his life meant. They didn't look back on him with a sort of easy wistfulness. Rather, they were surprised, shocked out of their wits, and turned upside down by the grave of Jesus. A last word about the man in the white garment. Remember last week I mentioned to you how the man that ran away and left his garment in the hands of Jesus' enemies, ran naked into the night, stands for the baptized person, you and me, who runs away at the moment of truth. The man whom the women see in the tomb who announces the resurrection is wearing the same garment, the same word, syndona in the Greek. Who is he? He's all of us, symbolically, who've now recovered our faith and standing in the very weird and frightening tomb of Jesus, announced to the world his resurrection. That's the call that all of us have to evangelization. Have a beautiful, blessed Easter today, friends, and allow yourself, like these women, to be frightened out of your wits by the empty tomb of Jesus. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to The Word on Fire. My prayer is that each of us may be on fire with love for God and neighbor. Until next week, I pray that God will bless you and those you love. Friends, I'd like to invite you to visit my free YouTube channel and join over 40,000 subscribers. Each week I post video commentaries on topics ranging from Catholic teaching to world news to pop culture. Subscribe free and you'll receive my newest videos straight to your inbox. Just visit youtube.com slash wordonfirevideo.